Welcome to the Anywhere Advisor podcast. My name is Will Holdren. Today, I'm back in the studio with TMAC, a.k.a. Terrence McMahon. Today, we have a very special episode. Today, we're going to be talking about limiting beliefs and how they are costing you and your business money. So once again, I'm stoked for this episode. Let's just jump right into it. Hey, what's up, everybody? I, I don't want to bore you with cliches because you've heard them all, that you are what you think, what you envision becomes real, and all of those cliches that we take for granted. But I will tell you this with complete certainty that the limiting beliefs that most advisors have on their capabilities when it comes to marketing is holding you back and it's, and you're missing out on a massive opportunity to bring your brand to a whole nother level. And more importantly, to automate a lot of things that you do every single day that costs you time and actually costs you money that computers and artificial intelligence can do better. And the reason I want to do this show today is it's one of the most common conversations I have with financial advisors is I can't do anything. My broker dealer won't let me market. My broker dealer is very restrictive. We have lots and lots of rules. Of course, we have the rule and then we have the, the real rule. The rule is what you can and can't say uh, as, as a, a registered advisor, if you are, or a licensed insurance professional. The, the rules and the regulators are in place and, and they are what they are. And you can say some things and you can't say other things. But there are other rules that some companies place on top of that as an additional layer of, of protection. And I, I see them as they evolve. But there's always something that you can do. And there's always a way if you have um, certainty in what you want to do, <clears throat> right? And I want to bring you to uh, a story I had with an advisor, and he's with a big, big, big broker dealer, one of the top four or five, and it's a bank. And he can't do anything but, and I think he gave me a quick list. He can do, he can't do anything but LinkedIn. He can't do anything but strategic uh, webinars with other professionals, right? So he can do a webinar with an, an accountant or an attorney. He just can't promote it, right? Uh, he can do. He can't do anything else. But I think he, they actually let him do taxes too. So I was like, well, those are a lot of butts. Those lot, butts yeah. can be big things. You can you can you can break through. So I'm, I'm reading rereading two books right now, and these are both great books for this topic of limiting beliefs because um, the first book I want to talk to you about is a book called the martian and in the martian uh in the book and the movie if you saw matt damon remember him i do remember the storyline yeah he's yeah, stuck on mars right yeah yeah there was a there was a, a storm while everybody was out doing their work and then they basically left in an emergency they thought he was dead but they left him behind and he wasn't dead he was alive so he had to um create uh an environment where he could live with what he had available. That's basically the whole storyline that he was, he was converting things that were designed for something else into a, a, a method for him to survive and ultimately thrive and ultimately leave the planet intact, right? Alive because it took so long for them to get back. It's a great story or book. If you haven't read the book or seen the movie, um, it, the part, the, the character's name is Mark Watney. He was a, he was a, um, Oh, what do you call it? A botanist. So he he knew how to make food. He made food out of basically out of shit, right? And and some and some old potatoes. And he was growing potatoes and lived on potatoes for a year until they got back to Mars to save him. But he had to use other things and he had to get creative 
with how he was going to use something to get a result that he was looking for. So if you're a financial advisor and you can't do certain things, like you can't do TikTok or you can't do a podcast or you can't do a radio interview or you can't do uh, Facebook advertising or YouTube, that still leaves a whole universe of things that you can do. Most of you can do LinkedIn. And there are a million and seven different ways to use LinkedIn to create a strong offer to a very targeted audience, get their attention through an email that's not spammy, ask them a question about something you know they are worried about. I call it the loaded question and make them a promise to help them get out of it quickly and easily through something called like a 15 minute chat or a quick demo. And just like that, you can, you can start to focus on what you once felt was a limiting belief and now is a, a process and a procedure to, to get a client predictably. Because if you're not reaching out to people on LinkedIn, they give you an amount of views, uh, what do you, uh, connections a week. I don't know what it is, yeah. 100, I think. Yeah, they change it to 100 a week now, yeah. Yeah, we have automation tools that get that up to around 800 in some cases. Um, but these are all opportunities to meet people. And everyone says it's spammy. It's, you know, it doesn't work. No, the, the messaging doesn't work. The process works like a charm. I, I just got off the phone and made a new client out of a LinkedIn connection that one of my virtual assistants sent out for me. And that, that individual is a new, a new member of my uh, program. So it works. It doesn't work if you got crap words in there, right? Or if you're just throwing uh, spam at people or you're just using the normal stuff that everybody else uses. Look through your LinkedIn and see the spam that you're getting and go to school on that. Like what, what about it stands out as spam? You know, are you mentioning anything custom in their profile? Are you creating a video intro and going through something on video so they can see your face? Or are you creating an audio so that you're, that you're, um, you're communicating in a different media form than what they're used to in just a text and, a, and an email? That gives you an opportunity to thrive with what you have, what you can use to win. And that is the first part of this whole show is like, make sure that your limiting belief isn't I can't do marketing because my company doesn't let you. The alternative also is to leave the company. If, if they're so restrictive that you can't function and you got to do a little bit of accounting as what, what does it cost me to stay with this company knowing that I can only use so much of my marketing that's available in the universe of marketing. I, I always use the metaphor that, that a broker dealer compliance department is like a golf course, right? So the USGA lets you use 14 golf clubs to play golf. You're a golfer, right? Yeah. Is, is it 14? Is it 14? Yeah. Will? Yep. So some broker dealers don't let you use some of those clubs to play their course. So if you play in this course, you can't use TikTok. If you play in this course, you can't do TV. If you play in this course, you can't do radio. What can you do? Well, you can do email, LinkedIn, and public seminars with approved material. So you got three clubs instead of 14. What do you do? You either maximize the, optimist, the optimal process of these three clubs. You know, Maybe it's a, pit, a, a putter a three iron and a gap wedge, right? If you're a golfer, yep. what are you, a four handicap? What's your handicap? Four or five in, the, in that area. All right, so if you played with three clubs instead of 14, what do you think your handicap would be? 
Just guess. It would actually be relatively closer. It'd probably be about no. seven, seven or eight. I don't think you, it wouldn't cost you too many strokes, would it? I've seen no. that be out of golfers before. I have a friend who we used to play one club and he'd pick a six iron out and he'd shoot one or two over par with a six iron. I mean, he was, a, he was a zero handicap and he, it was a very much different. So trust me when I yeah. tell you that you can be effective with yeah. a, a one club if you master the club. So if it's LinkedIn, yeah. master LinkedIn. If it's, YouTube, master YouTube. If it's an email mailing list, master the process of scraping emails and sending out emails. These are all very usable. It's it's about the messaging. And we've done shows on creating, you know, behind my back, you see the atomic offer. We've done shows on how to create an offer that when it's in front of someone, it sells itself without you being there. Could be a video, could be a very well-written letter, but it's usually embedded around the process of taking a problem that exists in the world, right? Finding the person that has that problem, creating the process to relieve that problem, problem, prospect, process, and then build a projection model and a plan to scale it using the club that you can hit and stop complaining about the ones you can't because nobody cares. I know I don't. Every time I hear that, I said, I, I don't care. Like you use what you can to win. You know, they're letting you use some of them, use them well. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I, I think that's a great concept. And I love that. Just like the movie, The Martian, you know what I mean? It's all about making the most of what you have. Like I said, just sometimes you got to be a specialist in what your company allows you to do and stop worrying about being more of a generalist and trying all different things and just stick to what your game is, you know, and what you're good at. Man, you teed me up for the next segment. <clears throat> so let's pretend that you find a way to survive on Mars with only what's left there. Right, you know how to do it, and let's pretend it's it's um, LinkedIn, right? Because LinkedIn is about pretty much universally accepted. How mm -hmm. you use LinkedIn isn't always universally accepted, but the the companies typically allow you permission. They let you use that club. This is a book I call I I, I reread both these books I've read a couple times now. It's called Essentialism. Mm -hmm. Essentialism is called the discipline pursuit of less. When you're an essentialist, you do things that non-essentialists can't do, right? And I can give you some examples, like the way you think. Um, the non-essentialist thinks that everything is important, and I have to get to everything. I'm really super, super busy. You'll hear that a lot in a non-essentialist. The essentialist creates a very deliberate plan and amount of time on what they do and how they do it. They don't do everything. They actually say no way more frequently than they say yes. Uh, Warren Buffett comes to mind. Like he can say that I think 90% of his net worth boils down to the many, many things he said no to and the maybe six or eight great things he decided to do because he knows how to do something very, very well. And he sticks to it. He's an essentialist at that. So if you're an advisor, there's a lot, a lot of wisdom in becoming an essentialist practitioner, uh, having your expenses low with only what's essential to creating a client and serving them to the best ability. That's an essentialist mindset. You know, maybe the office isn't necessary. Maybe remote work is a better way to do it. Maybe you'll have more time and more resources to cultivate the better client. 
that's a big deal. Non-essentialists say yes to everything. They say yes to everything. They try everything. There's always a shiny penny, uh, but, but they're too busy to, to, to execute anything. They try everything, but they're too busy to execute anything because they're always running from one thing to the other. The essentialist has this insatiable, dis disciplined pursuit of fewer things to mastery. They want to take that thing to a whole new level, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a mindset you need to use when you're making that shift that we talked about in the first episode of going from generalist to specialist. When you make that shift, you're saying goodbye to a lot of things. You're making a decision. The decision means, we all know, that the, the uh, etymology of the word means to cut away from. You know, D means away from, like a divorce or a detour. Incision means to cut or to kill. That's what it means, to cut or to kill. So you're cutting away from certain things, certain markets, when you become an essentialist uh, advisor. Yeah, I think that's a, a very important concept. I think that's honestly a superpower when you can learn to say no to certain things. And like I said before, keep the main thing the main thing. I think you're going to see a lot more progress. I think a lot of people get distracted way too easily. Like you said, Jason, next shiny penny. And then, you know, there's a new penny, a new penny, and you never really get far enough to see what the first thing could have amounted to. So I think that's a very important concept. Stephen Covey was an essentialist. I mean, I heard you say the main thing's the main thing. that He was an essentialist. The essentialist advisor doesn't let business get in the way of family. One of the biggest regrets I have is that I was non-essential in my business. I can't tell you how many times, and I regret this, and I can't do anything about it, but I, I said yes to things at the, at the cost of my time with my family. That was a very non-essential way. I had reasons to justify it, I had a rationalization system to help people, uh, help myself cope with the fact that I'm not going to be at a soccer game tonight. I'm going to be at a, at a seminar because I had to make the money. That's a non-essentialist mindset. The essentialist mindset is I do this. I help people with this transformation. I do it better than anybody in the market and maybe on earth. And I work these days and I don't work these days and I'm always spending time with my family. And if you ask me anything that have to do with entering that time, it's a no. Hmm. Right. Cause like there's that. a t-shirt that they wear at the, uh, I think it's the four season. The answer is yes. Just ask me the question. That's a non-essentialist uh, mindset. That's a mindset of people that are in hospitality. People that are professionals don't say yes to everything. Right. Right. One other story. I, I, I had a, I had a client that or an advisor, which were my clients, uh, when I was practicing and I had my, my firm that he would always come in and he was a big advisor. He would always come in and he'd have a problem. He'd sit down Monday or Tuesday every week. He'd have some kind of problem that he made himself, by the way. And he would give me the problem and I would solve the problem. I was thinking in my head that I was helping him be more productive, but he wasn't being more productive with the time. He just wanted to lay off the problems. He didn't feel like dealing with it. So I read a book called the one minute manager meets the monkey. Hmm. You ever hear that book? I have not. It sounds, sounds interesting. So it basically talks about how, how a real good manager does not accept people's monkeys, a monkey. I don't get the monkey off your back. 
like here you have it like he'd come into my office every day with a metaphorical monkey throw it at my desk right so uh, one day I, I went out and bought him a copy of the book the one minute manager and i bought a, a, a jar of those monkeys so i always had the monkeys on the corner of my desk ready to go when someone threw threw a monkey at me so i take a monkey i give him a copy of the book and I'd say, here, have at it. So I ultimately ended up buying a bunch of those books because that was my my job was as a non-essentialist CEO. I was just solving problems. But that's a bad, bad process because I spent all my time putting fires out and none of my time doing what I was really gifted at, which was growing the firm, you know, bringing yeah. on new advisors and developing them and encouraging them and motivating them. That's the whole, the whole etymology or the whole origin of, of being successful i think is being an essentialist this yeah. book talks a lot about by the way if you really want to go deep i mean things that you have that you just clutter your house up they clutter your brain they they create inactivity they create regret they create despair they sabotage your emotions uh, quick example if you look as you're looking well you and i are looking at you, each other in a screen on mm -hmm. either sides of the screen i know you're at school but this is my home office so I have the things you can see and there's things you can't see. Right. I have a cup. I got speaker. I got speakers that don't work behind that speaker that I replaced. I, I got my drill, which I talk about for my stories, you know, talk about the drill, not the hole. So I have things that I can see and most of them are fine because I've already gone through this exercise just after I read the book, but if it's, that's called your periphery. So your periphery is things you can see. And when you see it, it's going to zip a charge into your head. It's going to be positive or negative. If it's negative, it's got to go. That's the, that's the mindset of an essentialist. A non-essentialist accumulates things. An essentialist lives only on the bare minimum, like Gandhi. Die with less than 10 things. Because it makes your brain freer and more clear. Yeah. Right? So if you combine these two books, The Martian, you know, survive and succeed with what you can use. And the essentialist is about pursuing something at a at a at an incredible level, voraciously pursuing less things and becoming an absolute master. Yeah, two great concepts. And just another point to add, like you said, I think nowadays there's so many ways to make a business work or to make a lot of money, whether you're in financial advising or pretty much any industry. And like you're talking about, you just got to focus on the thing that works and find that thing for you that you're better than other things and focus on that and stay with that on a, on a decently long path. And then, you know, it's going to work out in the long run better than being a generalist. Specifically I mean, if you're reading, if you're reading books and you're not snacking on social media all day, I always say binge on books and, and I catch yeah. myself doing it too, particularly with the political environment. You're always getting sucked into some thing with the election or whatnot. So it's constantly snacking on social media. And as you snack, it gets another tentacle on you. And pretty soon your face is, planted in the phone add delete modify you know delete that time add the book it's a 180 it's a it's a it's a it's a multiplier when you take something bad and eliminate it and add something good yeah um so there's a lot of great books that can help you become a better better advisor you can become more interesting you can become more well-read i think people love talking about books it's one of the probably the second or third most common question i get is about books i've read yeah it's, it's comes down to just investing in yourself. Like you said, I actually have a time limit for certain apps on my phone. So I'm not there just constantly doing it. And then an hour goes by without even noticing. So like you said, it's important to kind of set those expectations and realize how you're spending your time. 
Yeah. So those are the two concepts I wanted to share with you today. Very valuable, very big idea in a very, very concise way, essentially put. Yep. Sounds good. Hopefully all you guys got value out of this and we'll see you guys next week.